balance of nature's fruits and vegetables in a capsule, changing the world one life at a time. I went to my dentist and my dentist goes, oh, your gums are so good now. And I said, well, I'm taking this stuff called Balance of Nature. And she pulls out a bottle. <laughs> and she goes, oh, you want some? And they were all hooked on it. it it's, it's really good. I have cut down on supplements so much. Uh, with this because it's giving me a balance and I can tell it and I can really definitely see a difference in energy stamina and I'm sure that if that's doing better the inside of me is doing better. Get a wide variety of all your daily recommended servings of whole fruits and vegetables without having to leave your home. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Call 1-800-2468-751 or go to balanceofnature.com and use discount code KATE. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm coming to you with one of the most important commercials that I've ever done. All of you know what my pillow and myself have gone through in the last eight months in my efforts to bring the truth forward. Well, now you can help in a couple ways. First, get everyone you know to go to my new media platform, frankspeech.com. There you'll find all the footage from my cyber symposium and many other important broadcasts. Also, I am personally doing a new daily live show to get the truth out. It's at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. Secondly, I'm offering some of the best prices ever on my pillow products, but they're only available on frankspeech.com. Go to frankspeech.com now and use the promo code on your screen or call the 1-800 number below to receive these exclusive my pillow offers. Thank you and God bless. Make sure and put the code word Kate, K-A-T-E. This will get you up to 66% savings at MyPillow.com. The code word Kate, my first name, K-A-T-E. Help support Mike, help support this show, and help support yourself in getting some amazing, amazing products. These are the best ones I've ever owned. Go to MyPillow.com, code word Kate. Fully recorded. Do not listen to this show. The truth can be scary. The Kate Daly Show starts now. I'd like to call to order this secret conclave of America's media empires. We're here to come up with the next phony baloney crisis to put Americans back where they belong in dark rooms glued to their televisions too terrified to skip the commercials. Well, I think... NBC, you are here to listen and not speak. I think we should go with a good old-fashioned public health scare. Uh, yeah. A new disease. No one's immune. It's like the summer of the shark, except instead of a shark, it's an epidemic. And instead of summer, it's all the time. That is Now, I hate to be the guy who derails what everybody else loves. He loves being that guy. But, Janice, we do have standards. This can't be a made-up disease. The only moral thing to do is release a deadly virus into the general public. We do have something we've been holding on to, but it hasn't been tested. Get over here, NBC. Hi there. Welcome. Kate Daly Show. We're going to go over a lot of information in this hour uh, again. And uh, I just went through the COVID vaccine. Um, I thought Del Bigtree uh, did a fantastic job in in um, really communicating what the problems will be in the future with the mandating of seven uh, 7.8 billion people getting a vaccine um, that they're forced to get. I also played um, some clips from the public health officers 
looks like military, sounds like military. They're, they were talking about being deployed and basically following along the propaganda messages and then making sure that people trusted them and, and how they need to be ready for longer deployments because the vaccine was going to roll out. And we are seeing schools now that say, I'm going to wait for the, the, the masks are, are in until we get the vaccine. So that people like, like Del Bigtree said, finally, they say, I've, I've had it with living like this. Give me the vaccine. And it's really sick because the vaccine's different. It's different than the other vaccines. This one is uh, something they've been working on since 2008. If you don't think that there's well-laid plans in this, you're crazy. They've been working on this since 2008. Moderna, one of the companies vying for the vaccine action against AstraZeneca, uh, they want a bigger piece of the pie than AstraZeneca. They're probably not going to get it. Um, AstraZeneca is going to lead out is a 2017 lawsuit that they were fighting over who gets the who gets the digs in the patent for RNA. And and uh, um, by the time that finally got to court, that was 2017. They had this ready to go. They had this this ready to roll. In fact, they make it sound like it just came out on the, on the, you know, they just got rolling on it. They just got out of bed and thought, oh, we need a vaccine on January 20th. And little Sarah Gilbert, who works for uh, Bill Gates, who who uh, they, they propped up in this Jenner Institute that works with Oxford, decided that they were going to just try to come up with something quick. It had already been in the works. It had already been, they've already been working on it. Patents were already there. You can go look at it. Jenner Institute's patent um, on their version of this working with chimpanzees, but not really. They're not really doing animal studies. Started uh, 2016 with theirs. Um, so they've got they've had this in the works for quite a long time, and they wanted to use a coronavirus, which was the easiest way to use something that that is so generic. The symptoms are so generic that they could say we want to squelch this, you know, by using this vaccine. Look around you. Are people dying? Nope. Nope. They're not dying. So just to wrap that up, and I am going to be talking, I, I did the first hour on, on Johns Hopkins for a reason, and that was because Johns Hopkins and the Rockefeller Foundation have been lockstep in, in um, implementing public health. Um, they took the doctors and they said, doctors, you're only going to worry about curing and public health now is going to take prevention. They split it. They split it. They wanted to make sure it was two different avenues. And that's really, really important to know going into this hour because they wanted them to lead out. So there's a book out called The Great Secret. And I'm going to tie cancer into this because this was this is something that a lot of people probably maybe haven't realized. I don't know um, about about cancer and vaccines going clear back through the 1900s that I want people to understand because the Johns Hopkins um, Institute, their hygiene institute, public health and hygiene with the Rockefeller Foundation started out trying to develop vaccines and treatments and and all of these more diabolical measures in which they murdered people people in which they um, um, did experimentation on people and chemotherapy. Where did that come from? Mustard gas. So let's talk about how that happened. So there was a handful of scientists and, um, and this actually, this book, this new book that's coming out uh, chronicles as I, I would like to see it go more into depth on, on the hideous Johns Hopkins um, that everybody reveres in America and around the world. Um, but, uh, well, you know, to the victors go the monuments, right? 
Art Thompson wrote that book, and that title just keeps coming back to me. To the to the uh, victors go the monuments. Johns Hopkins is certainly one of those. And the, the people I'm going to be talking about actually came out of Johns Hopkins. So I'm talking about World War II. Johns Hopkins and Rockefeller got into lockstep about 1913. So on December 2nd, 1943, there was a surprise raid on the German bombers um, devastated a little seaport in Italy called Bari, right? I'm probably saying it wrong, but Bari, Bari. It was a crucial supply hub in the Allied campaign in Italy, and it was one of the worst naval disasters of World War II, and the raid was dubbed Little Pearl Harbor by the press. And uh, so for a lot of the immediate survivors, the worst was yet to come. They hadn't yet gotten the effects of what they were about to get. But over the next few days, sailors and civilians who survived the attack began to die of mysterious symptoms. And as panic spread, the American chemical warfare specialist, Lieutenant uh, Colonel Stuart Alexander, was dispatched to investigate um, and ended up with this crucial, um, I'm going to, I will call it contribution, but anyway, to modern medicine. And it would be covered up for decades. And so the great secret actually uh, talks about this. This is a book by Jeanette Conant. Um, and... Anyway, it talks about the patients who survived the Bari bombing with only minor wounds begin to experience all these symptoms, eyes swollen shut, terrible blisters, sensation of burning so intense that it drove some to tear off their clothes and bandages in, in an effort to get some relief. And officials were worried at the time that the Germans had used the raid as cover for a poison gas attack. Chemical biological warfare had been banned before this, in the 1925 uh, Geneva Protocol, and the United States and Britain had announced that if Germany violated the prohibition, the Allies would retaliate in kind. So they needed answers, and the, 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 the book goes to say uh, the U.S. Army ordered Alexander, a young physician, from the Chemical Warfare Service to identify the cause of the mysterious deaths um, and where it had come from. But while Alexander was kind of determining that the victims had been exposed to mustard gas, the source of a chemical agent, right? American Liberty, uh, the American Liberty ship laden with top secret cargo of 2,000 mustard bombs had been docked in the Bari Harbor in Italy. Not something that the Allies wanted revealed at the time. They feared Hitler would use evidence of the American chemicals weapons stockpile to initiate an all-out gas warfare. And the British, who controlled the port, denied the presence of mustard gas and deleted the diagnosis from the medical records of the victims. So Churchill and Eisenhower um, acted, acted as well to suppress what was going on, insisting that the censorship um, of the uh, catastrophe and Alexander's report was military, considered military security. And so Alexander and the victims of the Bari disaster, um, probably a lot of people don't ever really talk about this, right? And it was detailing the toxic effects of mustard gas on white blood cells. And it caught the eye of Colonel Cornelius Dusty Rhodes. Now, Dusty Rhodes, <laughs> pioneering physician, they say. I love how they use the word pioneering so generously when the guy's a monster. But anyway, the research scientist, and they said he was brilliant and arrogant. No, he was just a monster. Um, he was recognizing the potential of this poison as a killer and a cure. So he ushered in a whole new era of cancer research done by Sloan Kettering Institute, and uh, Alexander, by the way, the military guy, returned to his family practice in New Jersey. Um, 
never really could talk about what was going on because it was considered a military secret. But uh, but uh, Rhodes got really, really busy about this uh, with this uh, information and uh, sort of launched um, this whole new uh, career into chemotherapy. And so uh, in hospitals around the world, cancer patients are being treated with chemotherapy, right? Life-saving protocols, right? It's based on nitrous mustard. It's a deadly chemical weapon, and they have no idea how the treatment was discovered, right? Well, it was mustard gas that really jump-started the whole thing uh, of medical oncology. And um, it's kind of incredible, really, when you get really right down to it, what we're actually, um, what version of this we're taking into our bodies. Uh, it's traced directly to that poison gas. Anyway, um, so... I'll talk about some numbers when we come back and I'll also talk just a, a little bit more. Um, you know, there's questions as to whether Churchill and Eisenhower were justified in covering this up and, and so forth. And the book delves into that, but I kind of want to go onto a, a little bit of a different, different path too with this as well. And you'll see what I mean when I come back. But, uh, so cancer, uh, they said, is the uncontrollable multiplication of cells, right? Can run wild in the body and invade healthy tissue. And they said, since the fast division of cells uh, is a hallmark of cancer, Alexander, the military guy, uh, reasoned that if mustard depressed or slowed the rate of white blood cell division, it might slow the rate of cancer cell division. And so uh, he recommended mustard compounds be studied as a possible treatment for certain types of cancer. And so... Um, it actually went after the healthy cells as much as it does the cancer cells. And this is why a lot of people that do chemo end up with different kinds of cancers as well in their bodies. And they, they started determining that you could have a lot of different kinds of, uh, uh, of cancers hit you later on as well. And so Hodgkin's and, um, and ALL and all of these different ones, they say now have a 90% remission rate, but there is some cause for concern in, in uh, future, it's setting the body up for future uh, problems for cancer as well. And so um, I'll come back into this. There's a couple of things I really want to hit that are really pertinent and important. And uh, Rhodes is an interesting character. Rhodes with the Rockefeller Foundation and Johns Hopkins um, was accused, uh, well, um, even admitted to uh, killing some people off and um, wanting to get rid of Puerto Ricans where he was doing his research and studies. All kinds of stuff when I come back, because it'll be interesting how this all ties in. I promise it all kind of ties in together uh, the whole day. But when when going down these rabbit holes, um, I just think that, you know, we, we bypass a lot of really good information that we should have. And the 1900s are filled with experimentation, psychological experimentation. Um, they don't mind getting rid of people. To, to say they're doing something for the common good. But then I really want to analyze, is that good, actual common good? Be right back on the Kate Daly Show. This show is previously recorded. Lines are open now. Call 888-673-1450. This is the Kate Daly Show. Is a burning thing, and it makes a fiery ring. Hi there, welcome back, Kate Daly Show. 
I'm glad you're tuning in today. A lot of information. Um, did on the vaccine in the last hour, Johns Hopkins in the uh, first part uh, of the show, and it's a three-parter, and uh, going into a little bit more during the whole 1900s, what they've been really busy doing. The Rockefeller Foundation's been extremely busy. It was, um, uh, John, John D. Rockefeller was Standard Oil, and Standard Oil, I don't know if people realize, um, <laughs> helped fund um, Adolf. Um, if, you'll, if you notice, if you notice, there's a lot of German um, learnings, German scientists um, coupled with American scientists in the whole 1900s that um, certainly came together for a, a lot of a lot of the things that we know of today that we use today. We don't. I don't even think we think of their beginnings. But the Johns Hopkins um, uh, Institute very lockstep with the Rockefeller Foundation, and the Rockefeller Foundation is. Um, pretty corrupt. It's probably had the biggest impact on our country in culture and in health and in everything else in um, basically trying to destroy, um, destroy us. And people don't realize that, you know, what they do is they, they give the accolades and they give the monuments and they give everything to, you know, the Johns Hopkins and the Rockefeller Institute when they have been at the helm since the very beginning, early 1900s of turning our country inside out. You could go back to a lot of our problems and a lot of our problems with health and you'll go right back to you'll find Johns Hopkins and you'll find uh, you'll find that deeply embedded. In fact, all of our epidemiologists in each state, the ones that are leading out and actually running this country right now through public health enforcement um, would be coming from Johns Hopkins and the CDC. I just wanted you guys to know, you know, um, it's it always goes back to the same well-worn paths. So I was talking about um, how mustard gas sort of turned into what we now know as, as chemotherapy. And Cornelius Rhodes was a Harvard medical uh, uh, student graduate. And, um, you know, of course, history paints him as brilliant and arrogant. Well, he was way more than that. He, I, I, I consider this guy uh, a monster, but... Uh, they say he was a dedicated oncologist. So you just love how they how they do that. From 1929 to 39, he worked at both the Rockefeller Institute for Medical Research and then became a staff member at the Rockefeller Hospital, where they were certainly doing a lot of experimentation and all kinds of different things on people without their knowledge. Um, Dr. Uh, Dr. Rhodes, um, basically, um, when he attended a party hosted by a Puerto Rican uh, co-worker's uh, house down in Puerto Rico after leaving the party, he wrote this letter. And this letter basically, I'll cut to the chase, it said, uh, it'd be ideal except for the Puerto Ricans. They are beyond doubt the dirtiest, laziest, most degenerate and thievish race of people ever inhabiting this sphere. Makes you sick to inhabit the same island with them. They are even lower than Italians. What the island needs now it needs is not public health work but a tidal wave of totally something to exterminate the population it might be livable then i have done my best to uh, further the process of extermination by killing off eight of them and, and transplanting cancer into several more the latter has not resulted in any fatalities so far. The matter of consideration for the patient's welfare plays no role here. In fact, all dis all physicians take delight in the abuse and torture of unfortunate subjects. Do let me know if you hear any more news. Sincerely, Dusty. Um, that kind of gives you a glimpse of who this guy um, who this guy is. But by 1940, um, 
rather than face justice, he was selected as the next director of Memorial Hospital for Cancer Care and Research. By 1941, he was studying the use and effects of radiation to treat leukemia. Um, ironically, the person's house uh, that he had visited back in 1950, was, uh, who was arrested as a political prisoner, was used as a guinea pig in his experimentation, which led to his death in 1965. Um, yeah, <laughs> anyway. Um, so Dr. Rhodes went on to win the Legion of Merit for combating poison gas and advancing the use of chemical warfare. Um, and the U.S. Army Medical Service published the Medical Department of United States Army in World War II. In 1943, a medical division was established in that chemical war- uh, warfare service at, uh, in Maryland under his direction, and he was commissioned as a colonel. Um, yeah, he was carrying out toxicological studies uh, uh, related to hazards in the production of chemical warfare agents. He established at Camp Dietrich, Maryland. Do you remember Judy Mikovits talking about uh, Camp Dietrich? Anyway, um, he worked at Dugway Proving Ground in Utah and uh, Camp Siebert in Alabama. And then the medical division uh, coordinated with work with all these laboratories from his work. And in 1944, the Chemical Warfare Service was charged additionally with res- uh, responsibility for all biological warfare defense projects. Um, And so um, it goes on and on. I mean, due to all of this, uh, studies on mustard gas from the accident of the war in in Italy, the incident I told you about, um, basically basically, uh, Rhodes became interested in, in the potential for its cancer treatment and started developing this. And for the rest of his life, his research interest in developing chemotherapy for cancer treatment served primarily as the administrator and and scientific director at Memorial and Sloan Kettering. And from studies of the mustard gas um, came uh, the um, clinical trials during the the war years for the basis of development of the field of anti-cancer chemotherapy. Um, So there's some problems with chemotherapy too. And I'd like to talk about those as well, just because there's just way more to the story um, that uh, that isn't told because everyone goes, oh, that's how you deal with cancer. That's such a great thing. But it was hijacked. It was it was truly hijacked with the individuals that started Johns Hopkins um, Public Health Department. Um, Simon Flexer being one of them. He served as director of the Rockefeller Institute for Medical Research. He was also a friend and advisor to John D. Rockefeller. Um, but uh, all these individuals um, that were involved really hijacked uh, what was actually um, what was actually going on with what could have been health and what could have been more natural medicine and opting more for the chemicals that they were developing, the experimentation and studies that they wanted to prop up. And it really is sad, you know, in 1930, the lung cancer death rate for men, even though there was a whole lot of smoking going on, was 4.9 per 100,000 people. In 1990, the rate had increased 75 to 75.6% per 100 people. Um, we definitely had a lot more issues with lung cancer and all the different cancers from a lot of different reasons. But uh, ironically, um, another direct effect of chemotherapy is, in fact, cancer. It's even printed on the chemo drug warning labels in small print, of course. (laughs) 
um, doxorubicin uh, may increase your risk for developing leukemia. Um, your oncologist might claim to have successfully treated your first cancer. You might very well have developed a second or third cancer caused by uh, chemo. And isn't it interesting how if you try to go natural, that uh, even right now you do not have control over your children and the kind of care they can get because a hospital can hijack that. The first doctor, cancer doctor you see um, can say, well, this is how this has to go or we could... Uh, possibly take your child away. And this is what happened to uh, Ben McClintock, defending Utah, that comes on the show. Um, same kind of thing. You know, we're looking at um, forcing and, and making sure that you go these routes instead of natural medicine, which is really, really sad. Um, the guy, um, uh, William Welch, who actually was the first uh, Johns Hopkins, you know, portion of that um, public health department and also the head of the AMA, um, uh, Flexner worked for him and, uh, uh, there was, you know, just a whole bunch of different people involved in steering us away at the time, uh, with John Rockefeller and, and Andrew Carnegie and others, um, peddling all the pharmaceuticals. In, in fact, you know, on the war on, um, drugs, it's kind of interesting that, um, that cannabis was used throughout the 1800s, but when it got up to the 1900s and uh, the beginning of the 1900s, they started demonizing it, even though they hadn't had a lot of issues with cannabis, right? It was, they, they used it to treat. And once the pharmaceutical companies got their digs in, it's kind of amazing that all of a sudden um, cannabis was actually demonized in favor of pharmaceuticals that caused a lot more symptoms and problems. And when you really kind of look at why they devised public health, a very socialistic, communistic term, right? The good, the good of all. So everybody's a, a one size fits all taking away our individuality, eventuality in, in medicine. It's kind of interesting that they divided it so that doctors were only concerned for, and this comes from the founding documents of Johns Hopkins, by the way, of that whole Department of Public Health and uh, the Rockefeller Institute. But it's kind of interesting. So the doctors were only supposed to be in charge of curing, right? Chasing after all those symptoms of all those drugs that were coming into fruition, which would cause more symptoms and more symptoms. And that public health was supposed to be about prevention. But not really, not so much. And that's another, that's another huge uh, rabbit hole and problem. Um, something I can't tackle in one show. But, uh, but it's kind of amazing that the steering towards chemo always by the medical profession is kind of interesting instead of really looking at, uh, at health and prevention, right? I mean, do you go to a doctor and get told that you uh, should worry about vitamin C and D and, and sunshine, just like they're doing right now with COVID-19? Instead of walking down those aisles uh, of, of natural health to prevent something from happening, what's the first thing they go in to try to do? Use COVID-19 as an opportunity to develop an RNA sequence um, vaccine that's much different than anything else we've ever done, very experimental, we're all the guinea pigs. We're going to be the guinea pigs for this vaccine. And it can actually change your DNA. You cannot change it back. And they're actually going to use this um, as a gateway instead of ever walking down. Did you see any of these companies walking down, telling you, uh, walking down the aisle of natural health? Of course not. Of course not. It's all about the chemicals. It's all about the vaccinations. 
They cannot wait to put a vaccination out. Dell Bigtree made the point that um, in that recording that I played, that once you, once they develop this adult vaccination program to solve all health problems, um, you're going to be taking a lot of them, and probably by force. Because now you have to catch up. I only had eight vaccinations as a kid. Now they have over 65. You're going to have to catch up on the adult plan. You don't know what you're putting in your body. And those regulations, like Judy Mikovits said, started coming off. The patents are all owned by these monsters, by the Fauci's, by, uh, by, by all of these individuals I talked about in the last hour as well. The, the uh, patents are owned by them. And so um, they have every... Oh, every incentive and motivation to make sure that they're getting this very large paycheck, but also making sure that you are forced to take them. And with the regulations being lifted in the 80s and and again in this last decade, who knows what's in them? And this is why they were able to um, get away with doing an RNA vaccine, as Judy Mikovits talks about that, as far as a whole new delivery system that they've never done in humans before. Guess what, folks? You're the guinea pigs. We're all the guinea pigs if they get their way and we do not stand up to this. Be right back on the Kate Daly Show. This show is previously recorded. Talk lines are open now. Call 888-673-1450. This is the Kate Daly Show. So I'm talking about uh, the 1900s and the huge history we have in developing vaccines. And for all of those who have been listeners to my show for a long time, know that uh, the the book Dr. Mary's Monkey really is a fantastic book, probably my most intriguing book I've ever covered when it talked about the advent of uh, antibiotics uh, rolled into a spike in polio. And when they came out with the vaccine for polio, that's what, uh, when it was, when they sent out so many infected um, versions of that, 96 million infected doses of polio, most of you got that, by the way, listening. Um, Then all of a sudden we had the war on cancer increase tenfold. So um, are there any accidents? Well, (laughs) Um, A lot of experimentation in the 1900s, a lot of the Rockefeller Foundation being at the helm of it. And it's scary to think that that a few people had this much influence on medicine and on the way we do things right now and how the medical profession is actually trained. It's kind of like what Bruce Nyson uh, Nielsen said and also Judy Mikovits, Dr. Judy Mikovits from Plandemic. Um, you know, just talking about how there are a lot of good memorizers of medicine and, and they, they like those memorizers of medicine. And I'm not downing all doctors. I'm just saying that that typically you're a good memorizer if you're a doctor. But there's few that will actually really get it, get um, talking about health 
and prevention because they're not trained that way. And that was by design from the early 1900s. Johns Hopkins and Rockefeller partnered to make sure that that that, that, that public health became very separate from what a physician learns. And a physician was only supposed to worry about curing something and public health was supposed to worry about um, prevention. Now, think about this. Has public health done a good job on teaching you how to be very, um, you know, using natural remedies and, and, and natural things to cure yourself? I'm going to go out on a big limb and say no, because that has not been, they've, they've, they've used that as the guys to do much different things for the good of all. In fact, when they started out with all of the, with using chemo and, and all of these things, um, they were hastening the death of many cancer patients and they kept calling it, it was for the good. It was for the good. Now, a lot of you can say, well, yeah, I mean, we have to always, you know, a lot of people are going to die to go after the good. Do you realize you're going to be used as a guinea pig with, if, we, if they get their way on this mandatory vaccine? Because as they lifted the regulations in the last uh, decade, as Judy Mikovits said when she was on the show, and then this is why she said, do not take the flu vaccine. Be very careful about any vaccines you take because of the new um, mRNA uh, messenger uh, type of vaccine that they're trying to shove down everybody's throats because it hasn't been tested in humans like this, you know, as far as uh, big scale studies. They've rushed it for a reason. And be very, very wary of that. Um, anytime we're going to get into anything mandatory. But the reason I didn't, ha- I didn't have the author of the book, The Great Secret, talking about mustard gas and how that uh, transitioned into that was the that was what what we have chemo from was actual mustard gas. The hair falls out. The, I mean, seriously, think about that, you guys. Anyway, um, the reason I didn't was because she kind of went off on this whole this whole um, issue of everything is always for the greater good. And, um, no, it's not, no, it's not. And it should never be in a free country. We're in a free country here. And so the, having the, the advent of public health in our country, it gave them the license to do many, many, many experimental things and steer us in directions that we would have never gone as a country because they were able to get their hooks in this way. And I think that's really, really important to know. I talked about in the very, very beginning of this show about Johns Hopkins and about William Welch and how he was a skull and bones fraternity guy. Yeah, skull and bones like the Bushes and John Kerry and everybody else in that little pristine little group, right? Um, well, he actually learned and studied at the gen- at, at several German laboratories. And... Um, He came back here and they made him, he was the first physician recruited by a professor at the newly forming Johns Hopkins Hospital and Medical School at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. And um, he went on to become the first dean of Johns Hopkins and in 1916 established the School of Hygiene and Public Health. Public health was a British term. Hygiene was a German term. Funny how we're always doing business with the UK and Germany, isn't it? Anyway, especially in our medicine, NASA, and uh, just about everything else, it feels like. Um, And so this guy also became the head of the AMA, what became the AMA. And the people that worked under him were Walter Reed. Remember Walter Reed Medical Center, you know, for for the military. Um, And uh, Simon Flexner. And the founding, uh, became the founding director of the Rockefeller Institute for Medical Research. 
um, which hijacked medicine in the early 1900s. It became a totally different animal once these people got involved. And um, as far as this goes, of course, they are very awarded, right? But Welch played a major role in the response to the 1918 influenza pandemic. You realize that started out with a vaccine, right? And you also realize it wasn't they said 10 million died and then through history they kept upping the number and now they think 50 to 100 million died and they said that the reason that the that that there's a discrepancy in the numbers is because we, they didn't know how to count back then um anyway the 1918 uh he played a big role in this these are the people that are involved in the medicine we have today they they did public health on the guise of hookworm hookworm <laughs> Hookworm was not fatal. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like some big deal. In fact, over 400 million people have hookworm um, out there. But right now, but what they did was they they um, said we need a public health department, and their first sort of um, instigation into that was dealing with hookworm and trying to solve I quote unquote that problem so that they could look like they were very busy solving a problem, kind of like what they're doing with COVID. They pick a coronavirus, they shove it out there because coronavirus is so many different symptoms, just like, I mean, it's the same thing as flu and respiratory. They, they take uh, COVID and they say, people too, so many people are dying. See how history repeat, repeats itself? So many people are dying, even though we don't even have the same numbers as the flu and respiratory numbers on average, on a high average year. High average year is 260,000. We were only at 160 some odd thousand deaths for COVID that they're labeling COVID. Um, they started labeling those February 9th. So everything's labeled COVID for almost the entire year, which will be the entire year by the end of the year. So they did the same thing with hookworm. And this is how they got their hooks in, if you will, uh, forgive the pun, um, into making sure that we had a public health department. And they said that they wanted to make it a career and they wanted it to, um, to be a, a whole different animal and that we were actually, um, you know, the initial um, impetus for the um, uh, public health campaign against hookworm um, and its treatment and prevention, you know, giving themselves a problem, having themselves come up with a solution so they could make their way into saying, see how wonderful we are when taking a dose of Epsom salts <laughs> was basically the treatment um, besides drinking uh, this certain thing anyway, uh, which is poisonous to the worm. And they really did carve out that entire, that entire thing uh, in, in order to create public health. And now public health is running the country. The governors are letting it run the country. If we had a good governor, um, even my own state, that would not be the case. But these guys are telling the governors what to do and the governors are listening because the governors are bought and sold. And the public health departments are bought and sold because a lot of the people going into the health departments that head the health departments are from where? Johns Hopkins, CDC. Um, so this was going on clear back in the day and throughout the 1900s. And then we got the um, chemo. We got all these different, uh, all these different things, didn't we? And we also had, um, you know, there were lawsuits, lawsuits uh, against uh, Johns Hopkins, lawsuits against the Rockefeller Foundation for many, many, many people being um, murdered. Um, uh, people that uh, were in experimentations against their will or didn't know. And 
it's a really sad state of affairs because you can go back to the same few people all the time. The same few people that are at the, that are at the, um, even, even the who, even WHO International talks about how they created public health departments and how this public health department became international very, very quickly. Um, they had offices in China and Yugoslavia and all over the place, Brazil, everywhere, like immediately. And they were all an extension of Johns Hopkins. Um, you know, you wonder why I don't trust Johns Hopkins and never would. Um, I, I don't think they work in the best interest of people. I don't think any of these people had their sights on working in the best interest. I think they wanted to hijack medicine early on. Um, and this was by design. They only treated 400,000 people with, uh, with hookworm, but basically called themselves the, the saviors. And so they really needed that, that public health department. It's amazing when you go back in time and start really looking at all of this from a different angle and, and really kind of looking at this entire century as one that, that changed us and that created these monsters in medicine. I think about all the experimentation in the 50s and the 60s, the drug culture that came out of the experimentation. We had a CIA experimenting with drugs for a long time, and then all of a sudden the drug culture just popped up. Why do you think that happened? Why do you think that happened? Nothing happens by accident, folks. If there's anything I've learned over the decade of doing this for a living, there are no spontaneous events. Everything is usually usually uh, by design uh, by these kinds of folks or um, a product of their designs. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest problems we have, see. Um, Anthony Fauci helping to fund what went on with Wuhan, China being a big seller and um, manufacturer of the vaccine that they want to implement on the world, on us. An RNA vaccine that hasn't been even given to humans yet on wide scale. They don't even know what it can do or would do. And we would be the guinea pigs, just like the guinea pigs with uh, chemo in the beginning, too. And just like we continue to be with chemo, right? Um, a very, very small percentage end up living past chemo because they usually end up getting something else. And I think about all of the generations through the 1900s with weakening, you know, uh, the things that we, that we do to each generation that kind of go on to the next generation, right? Because even when we had some of these things, when we were looking at some of these things, even from Dr. Mary, Dr. Mary's monkey and the situation with the polio vaccine, it's kind of amazing that, uh, that cancer, uh, look at how many vast cases of cancer there are. Isn't it one in three? get cancer might even be higher than that but one in three was the last one i i researched uh for cancer isn't it amazing how they could come up with this so-called vaccine so quickly for a mystery disease that came to us at the end of january right december of 2019 to january how they jumped on that yet we still have cancer to the to the, to the highest degree we're not dying of covid it's a cold virus we're not dying from it the success rate is 99.8% and we they are talking and shoving vaccine down us and now the schools are on board saying that they will make the kids wear masks until a vaccine, until that vaccine is mandatory. How many people do not have a line in the sand and will actually go move forward on that vaccine? 
Will you be able to travel, buy, or sell without that vaccine? Will you be able to have a life without getting that vaccine? Why is it so important that they take an experimental vaccine for something we're not dying from and inject it into the entire world? Now, you could say money, but there's way more to it than just financial. This is a much bigger deal because I, I, I agree with Dell Bigtree in that it could wipe out a lot of people um, because of what it does to our bodies. Could it, could it turn on you and attack you inside? Yeah. They don't know that it couldn't. And it did to the animals they experimented on. But guess what, folks? They're bypassing those animal studies that failed. And they want to just directly give it to humans. There's never been a coronavirus ever before in history for a reason. Our bodies, even admitted by Fauci, can do exactly or better what the vaccine they say will do. But Fauci said, and I quote, but I want them to get the vaccine anyway. If we do not stop this as a people, not only that vaccine, they've got 300 more in in the works. And if you don't think that those are even more diabolical than this one, because of course they're not going to kill everybody off with one vaccine because they want you to belly back up to the bar for the following ones. It's getting bad, folks, and we better we better fight against this and start having a stronger voice. Take off the, the ridiculous mask and start talking about this vaccine with the people that you know and telling them do not take this vaccine into their body. Have a great weekend. Sorry to end it on that, but have a great weekend, folks. Be faithful, be fearless. See you Monday.